Captain Boisberthelot and Lieutenant La Vieuville, although both dauntless men, stopped at the head of the companionway and, dumb, pale, and hesitating, looked down on the deck below. Someone elbowed past and went down. It was their passenger, the peasant, the man of whom they had just been speaking a moment before. Reaching the foot of the companionway, he stopped. The cannon was rushing back and forth on the deck. One might have supposed it to be the living chariot of the apocalypse. The marine lantern swinging overhead added a dizzy shifting of light and shade to the picture. The form of the cannon disappeared in the violence of its course, and looked now black in the light, now mysteriously white in the darkness. It went on in its destructive work. It had already shattered four other guns, and made two gaps in the side of the ship, fortunately above the waterline, but where the water would come in in case of heavy weather. It rushed frantically against the framework. The strong timbers withstood the shock. The curved shape of the wood gave them great power of resistance, but they creaked beneath the blows of this huge club, beating on all sides at once, was a strange sort of ubiquity. The percussions of a grain of shot shaken in a bottle are not swifter or more senseless. The four wheels passed back and forth over the dead men, cutting them, carving them, slashing them, till the five corpses were a score of stumps rolling around the deck. The heads of the dead men seemed to cry out. Streams of blood curled over the deck with the rolling of the vessel. The planks, damaged in several places, began to gape open. The whole ship was filled with a horrid noise and confusion. The captain promptly recovered his presence of mind, and ordered everything that could check and impede the cannon's mad course to be thrown through the hatchway down on the gun deck. Mattresses, hammocks, spare sails, rolls of cordage, bags belonging to the crew, and bales of counterfeit assignats, of which the corvette carried a large quantity, a characteristic piece of English villainy regarded as legitimate warfare. But what could these rags do? As nobody dared to go below to dispose of them properly, they were reduced to lint in a few minutes. There was just sea enough to make the accident as bad as possible. A tempest would have been desirable, for it might have upset the cannon, and with its four wheels once in the air there would be some hope of getting it under control. Meanwhile the havoc increased. There were splits and fractures in the mats, which are set into the framework of the keel, and rise above the decks of ships like great round pillars. The convulsive blows of the cannon had cracked the mizzenmast and had cut into the mainmast. The battery was being ruined. Ten pieces out of thirty were disabled, the breaches in the side of the vessel were increasing, and the corvette was beginning to leak. The old passenger, having gone down to the gun-deck, stood like a man of stone at the foot of the steps. He cast a stern glance over this scene of devastation. He did not move. It seemed impossible to take a step forward. Every movement of the loose carronade threatened the ship's destruction. A few moments more, and shipwreck would be inevitable. They must perish or put a speedy end to the disaster. Some course must be decided on, but what? What an opponent was this carronade! Something must be done to stop this terrible madness, to capture this lightning, to overthrow this thunderbolt. Boyce Berthelot said to La Viville, Do you believe in God, Chevalier? La Viville replied, Yes, no, sometimes. During a tempest? Yes, and in moments like this? God alone can save us from this, said Boyce Berthelot. Everybody was silent, letting the carronade continue its horrible din. Outside, the waves beating against the ship responded with their blows to the shocks of the cannon. It was like two hammers alternating. Suddenly, in the midst of this inaccessible ring, where the escaped cannon was leaping, a man was seen to appear, with an iron bar in his hand. He was the author of the catastrophe, the captain of the gun, guilty of criminal carelessness, and the cause of the accident, the master of the carronade. Having done the mischief, he was anxious to repair it. He had seized the iron bar in one hand, a tiller rope was a slip-noose in the other, and jumped down the hatchway to the gun-deck. 
Then began an awful sight, a titanic scene, the contest between gun and gunner, the battle of matter and intelligence, the duel between man and the inanimate. The man stationed himself in a corner, and, with bar and rope in his two hands, braced himself on his legs, which seemed two steel posts, and livid, calm, tragic, as if rooted to the deck, he waited. He waited for the cannon to pass by him. The gunner knew his gun, and it seemed to him as if the gun ought to know him. He had lived long with it. How many times had he thrust his hand into its mouth? It was his own familiar monster. He began to speak to it, as if it were his dog. Come, he said. Perhaps he loved it. He seemed to wish it to come to him. But to come to him was to come upon him, and then he would be lost. How could he avoid being crushed? That was the question. All looked on in terror. Not a breast breathed freely, unless perhaps that of the old man, who was alone in the battery with the two contestants, a stern witness. He might be crushed himself by the cannon. He did not stir. Beneath them the sea blindly directed the contest. 